Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another podcast for Cloud and Clear. I have the great privilege to once again host uh, a wonderful topic, one that is very, very hot in the ecosystem right now. And we're going to be talking about today everything related to best practices with respect to cloud financial management. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always intrigued by, given the fact that cloud is growing so fast and, and we are seeing it proliferate through all of the enterprises that, that we work with. And of course, how to operate, govern the financial ramifications of these investments is huge. And with me today as my special guest is a fairly new SADA individual, uh, Rich Hoyer, who is our director of a new formed business unit called our FinOps team. And when we were out looking for the best person on the planet to run our FinOps practice, we found that person in you, Rich. And I uh, want to formally welcome you to the, the organization and thank you for choosing SADA. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Very flattered. <laughs> I, 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 uh, you're going to find out for, for all of our listeners today. Uh, the wealth of knowledge that that Rich has in this space. Uh, I know that since you've joined, you've been teaching me all about <laughs> what it means to uh, have a an appropriate control uh, mechanism in place and a cultural adoption of of the practices that that make financial management of cloud even easier. So we're going to dive into all of that today. But first, Rich, for our listeners, uh, please provide a back background into your story, your journey. How, how did you end up in in this uh, FinOps uh, uh, discipline? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's actually kind of a funny story. Uh, I think in some ways, I sort of um, tripped and fell in a pot of career gold. <laughs> um, I was uh, I studied economics as an undergraduate. And uh, uh, between business school and undergrad, I was actually working in finance, I was doing valuations for mergers and acquisitions. So company A wants to buy company B, um, <clears throat> I would represent company A, and we would essentially build a financial model of what B was worth, and figure out what you should pay. Um, when I went to business school, actually as a hobby, I, I got really interested in technology. I'd done a little little bit of independent consulting before business school, and that meant that I was my own IT person. Um, <laughs> so back in the days, I'm going to date myself here. Back in the days of Windows ninety eight, um, you know there wasn't anybody I could call. That was a, those of you that remember those dark days, that was not a very good release. Um, <laughs> And Windows 98, I wound up having to wipe my machines and things like that on my own. So I developed a personal interest in it. And, and in grad school, um, I also kind of caught the entrepreneurial bug. And so <clears throat> rather than staying in sort of a finance consulting role, when I got out, I just hung out my shingle and started a little IT support company for small business. I learned tech there and uh, did that for a number of years, found it really hard to recruit talent for that business, um, was able to grow it on the revenue side, but really hard to recruit people who wanted to do that work, who wanted to drive around to small businesses. So I joined a company called Xenos, which did, uh, which does availability and performance monitoring, and that's where I learned cloud because I had um, I inherited a lot of infrastructure that was in a data center and it was end of life. And I wound up writing a business case at the request of my leadership about whether I recommended that Xenos um, either adopt a, build new infrastructure in EC2 or use a managed service provider or buy new equipment. And so. Um, uh, the business case showed I, I was actually more leaning toward the managed service provider. As it happened, I would turn out to be wrong. 
on that because we did go with EC2 and it wasn't much better in the long run. But that basically meant I had to learn cloud. And so now I had all the pieces in place to have tripped and fallen into this pot of gold career-wise because I had finance, I had tech, and now I had cloud. And um, some some years later, um, a friend of mine that I worked with at Xenos kind of looked me up and he was uh, he was joining Cloudability, which is a cost management dashboard platform. He was joining that business to build out their professional services. And he remembered me. He remembered um, that that I, I had a finance background. Of course, he was my mentor at Xenos to to build out the cloud infrastructure. And he also remembered that I'd done this business case. So I had all the different elements um, to do this work well. And it's just funny because at that point in my career, I had a little bit of, of I, maybe it's an exaggeration, but a little bit of an inferiority complex because my resume was half finance and then it was half tech and a little bit of cloud. And it's kind of like somebody's reaching into a toolbox. They don't look for something that's half screwdriver and half wrench. And that's kind of how I felt career-wise at the time. And here, here comes along, you know, my friend David, and he's like, this is exactly the person I need. And that, that, was, that was kind of how I got into it. And now, as you know, it's become a really very important discipline for a lot of enterprises. And what we're finding today is um, some of us were lucky enough to have had this somewhat odd career background and be a great fit for this work. And what we're finding today is that enterprises are actually building these people. Mm. They're taking folks with either background or the other, and they're teaching them the other half. And to me, that's just a really interesting moment in history because if you think of sort of business traditionally, a lot of the roles in business, I think it's fair to say, have been fairly stable for quite a while. Mm-hmm. You've had marketing for a long time, you've had sales and so on. And here's one of the, you know, this experience now where this moment in history where we're having to combine up in the same humans, these uh, formerly very disparate disciplines. And just to me, that's just a very interesting thing. It'll be interesting to see where it yeah, goes. Totally. So. Well, let's let's start to peel the layers of the onion back in terms of we've 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 all heard in this business particularly in the the technology sector terms like devops and that's been something that's been a very hot topic over the last 10 15 years which is redefining processes and controls around how to do release management and get software into production and and how to streamline that uh with this new term that we now are seeing more and more of, which is your area, FinOps, which, uh, you know, I, I, I want you to try to very simply try to try to define what that means for, for our listeners. And, and maybe, maybe in the process, you know, describe some of the challenges that, that companies have been starting to face as, a, as they grow in their cloud footprint. And, and how does FinOps play a role to address those? Sure. No, absolutely. Um, and this is exactly where, you know, the services part um, grew up is that CloudAbility recognized that a lot of their clients could adopt a tool but still struggle, um, even though the tool is fantastic. Um, so, so essentially, here's fundamentally what we're talking about and why this has become a discipline. If you wind back to the period before public cloud was a thing, to the old procurement model, which still exists for many on-prem environments, um, the way it used to work as far as internal controls and budgeting was that some team in an organization would uh, feel that they needed some equipment, kind of like when I was at Xenos. I felt like I needed to uh, end-of-life equipment. In the procurement model in those years, what would happen is, is what happened. I would be asked to write a business case. Why do you need it? How much do you need? You know, uh, And essentially, you would come up with a budget for how many 
uh, physical servers you wanted to rack in the data center, what was going to be, are we, are we renting more racks, what's the power consumption, and so on. And you had that procurement process where by, by virtue of having thought about this ahead of time, um, s- sought the correct approvals as a matter of governance in the organization. Everybody knew what was going to get spent, and then you write your check to Dell or IBM or whomever, and the equipment goes in. And so there's there's a process to vet what you're going to spend. You're planning, you're justifying, and then and then the expenditure goes out. What we saw early on in the early days of cloud was, of course, um, all of the, those governance models go, go out the window with cloud because what you're doing is de facto you're doing procurement as a consumer of the service. And what that means is there aren't any checks and balances, unfortunately, until after the check gets written or after the bill arrives. And we see that today. We've, we saw that early on. We still have clients, Dana, and I know you can relate to this. We still have clients where they have surprises, where something happens and, the, and, the, and a big bill comes that nobody uh, intended. And no, there was no ability to get out in front of that and say, are we going to spend this money or not, right? Because some code gets run. So essentially what you're doing de facto is you totally decentralized, you being industry, when they went public cloud, you've decentralized the procurement process and you've federated it. And consumers are de facto doing their own approvals real time. And that puts you in a world of catch-up. That means that now uh, you have to have reactive um, you know, reconciliation of budgets. You have to have reactive uh, measures that are in place to prevent a spend from getting out of control. And so early on, what we were seeing was um, it was it was disorienting to a lot of organizations. We had a lot of complaints um, from folks that were consuming public cloud of what they described as a sawtooth shape. If you were to graph the cost, it looked like a sawtooth. Costs would go up and up and up. Somebody would get angry. They'd they'd delete a lot of stuff, become more efficient. Costs would go down, and you rinse the people, right? And so, if you look at that, the idea was how do we flatten that? So that's the problem I'm describing, the, the sort of problem area. And, and essentially, the discipline that grew up to address that really had three buckets of activities that grew up around that. And the first was just what we call visibility. And visibility means do we know what's being spent? And it can't be at the end of the month because then you could have all kinds of things going on during the month <laughs> or the end of the quarter or something like that. So we, we, we need visibility real time into what's being spent. And, and visibility doesn't just mean, hey, we incurred this many dollars yesterday or last week. What it means is why did we incur that? Who are the consumers using it? Um, you know, is it justified? And so on. And so there's a whole art and science around that bit, around that bit of how do we gain visibility, not just as management, but a lot of different consumers who need this data. Um, if you think again back in the on-prem model, we had somebody like me that was looking to procure some equipment, uh, kind of the consumer, if you will, of that uh, of that co- equipment or service. And then you had procurement that was responsible and some management that were setting budgets. But after that, there didn't need to be a lot of folks involved. Yeah, right? sure. The servers were static, in the racks, they're running, costs, right? I'm logging yeah. on. To- it is, it is. It's a fixed cost and you didn't, you didn't have to have a lot of consumers of that information after the procurement. Um, yeah. That's not true anymore. So today you're going to have folks that are going to be on the management side who are going to be watching uh, the profit and loss and thinking about what they're spending in context of budgets, thinking about what they're spending in context of um, hopefully things like customer costing, uh, product or service costing. You're going to have the technical teams who are going to be making sure that they're consuming the way that they need to. 
Um, and then, and then now you're going to have the FinOps folks, uh, that have grown up into this space that are really helping translate, uh, some sort of new languages that appear in these bills <laughs> than, than appeared before. So that's the first bucket. Is that's, that's the first part of FinOps. Do we know what's happening? And do we know, mm-hmm. yeah, do we know why it's happening? Exactly right. That's right. Um, the second one is optimization because again, there are so many more opportunities for inadvertent spend or another way of putting it is for inadvertent waste that folks who are, we, we always assume and we've always found that people want to do the right thing. And so if you get the visibility right where the consumers of cloud know what they're spending when, we found that mere act can cause the bills to come down 10 or 15%, just simply holding a mirror, if you will, up to what they're spending. And so you know right away that if you don't have good visibility, you're going to have a less than optimized environment, not because people are lazy or don't care, but because if they don't, it's like driving without headlights, mm-hmm. they just don't know what they don't know. Um, but, but even then, there are a whole set of disciplines around recognizing in public cloud where people inadvertently uh, spend more than they need to without intent to. whole set of disciplines around, around the optimization part of it. Um, and then the third major bucket is governance, right? Is how do we really eliminate that sawtooth pattern I mentioned by virtue of having some guardrails, right? Some, sometimes those guardrails are things like policy-driven, uh, that uh, folks can't just spin up a lot of expensive resources in an exotic mm-hmm. <laughs> geography of the planet. Um, and sometimes there, there are governance around things that reinforce the other two, right? Governance can mean we have a policy of, of how often we're iterating looks at efficiency and examinations for efficiency, but they can also be governance that supports visibility. And that could be governance around um, how accounts are, are, are structured, uh, around how things like folders get structured or naming conventions of projects or tagging and labeling. So those are all fall into that bucket of governance of how do we have some kind of control. And that that's really what grew up. And now what you need are folks that understand all of this. And then there's the last bit also, which certainly is very relevant, which is budgeting and forecasting. Um, that we, we look at what's happening in the organization and have some means of saying what will happen in the future. And that's a discipline also that falls very much within FinOps because the same practitioners are going to need to interpret you know other information to figure out what the implications are yeah. for spend in future periods. So that's really, in a, in a nutshell, what grew up. And as, as I speak, you can hear in all of that why folks like me need to have these really diverse professional backgrounds because you have to put all this stuff into context, right? Somebody who's in finance or accounting needs to have some basic idea of what the technologies do, how they're applied, when yeah, things are Yeah, I was going to ask you, so I mean, there is this term now called a FinOps practitioner. Uh, what... what what, what does that mean? Like, so wh- where do you find FinOps practitioners? Uh, what what are their superpowers? What are they bringing to the table and, and the skill sets required in that role? Yeah, that's great. And I, th- I like the fact that you use the word find <laughs> um, yeah. because we don't. <laughs> we build them. We're, we're seeing the enterprises building them, right? So let's take an example of where an organization doesn't have a FinOps practice at all. And they're operating in public cloud. And usually when that, when that occurs, um, <clears throat> when, when somebody like us in the SADA world uh, becomes engaged is usually quite honestly when there's some, there's pain in some context where they need, they know they need to build that organization and they don't quite understand how, mm-hmm. how, or how to do it, how, how to begin the process. And usually that pain is around things like they don't have good visibility. They know that it's the wild west or people can do whatever they want. 
um, or they have a pretty good sense that things are over-provisioned. So usually it, it begin, the process of building these teams begins with pain. And what, what we find organizations are doing is, is right now they're taking timeshares, if you will, of um, other folks that are in the organization who are willing and able to do this work. So what that means is as you form the team, you're going to find some folks that have started looking maybe on the finance or accounting side at the reporting. And so they have some familiarity with um, with the way that you need to report against against public cloud, and you rope them in. <laughs> you you uh, you know you 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 draft them if you will, and say, hey, would you be willing to put in X hours per week on this FinOps team, right? Where you're going to work on that, and then it's really important also on the technical side to have folks that are willing um, more on the engineering side to join the team as well and work with these finance people to put their heads together and think through, you know, how the reporting, how to get the visibility. Because think about the feedback loop there. On the accounting or finance side, you may have a team saying, we need to report against X. X could be what is the cost per customer. X could be what is the cost per service. Um, or it could be geographical, a department, all kinds of different ways organizations need to report. And when they find they're not able to do that in a way they need to, they need input from technical mm-hmm. people to figure out how do we solve that, Right. So sometimes it might be something like labeling or changing account structures. What we're finding, particularly as more and more of the workloads become more cloud native, what that does is it puts you into shared resources all, often. So picture something like containerized loads where you have one host and the cloud provider sends you a bill for how many hours that host ran. But uh-oh, on that host are a bunch of containers. And on those containers mm-hmm. are different customers maybe being serviced or different products that are running. Now what? How do we split it? We need technical people involved in that discussion to figure out how we're going to solve that problem, be able to report the way we need to. So that's why you wind up having those broad buckets, accounting and finance on the one hand and technical on the other. And then quite honestly, what I'm seeing more and more of is people that are full-time being pulled into this work. So you might have, let's say, uh, let's say a team of four or five, and one of them may be an actual full-time FinOps practitioner. And what they're doing they're doing all the things I'm talking about. They're looking constantly at efficiencies and figuring out where there might be some costs that can be taken out. They're helping with periodic reporting. Um, they're they're helping enable consumers of of a of a cloud ma- management platform, something mm-hmm. like Cloudability or Ternary. And they're saying, you know, hey, let's get you set up on that. Let's make sure you have the right views, right? So they they dabble in a whole bunch of things all day, but it's it's all it all falls into these broad buckets, and then they'll be they'll be roped into the budgeting and forecasting, of course, yeah. as well. So that, that's the short answer to your question: is more and more that right now we're borrowing them, <laughs> we're building them, and and I think what you're going to see is more and more LinkedIn profiles of people who have done this work now are finance practitioners. They may have something else they want to do as well during the day job, but they're also finance practitioners. And then you'll have folks like me that wind up in services or folks that are full-time that literally this is what they do. So really interesting stuff. You know, Rich, this is, this is still, though, an emerging discipline that uh, in, in many respects, I think the blueprints, best practices are, are being developed real-time. Uh, in, in, and I think in a lot of ways, um, we're pioneering the, the tactics and, 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 and approaches that that can best be used in that governance of uh, of spend, and I and I and one thing you've always told me when I was when I was first learning about FinOps was I always thought FinOps was just a only a cost containment exercise. You know, it's FinOps equals cost savings, but it's actually that's part of it, right? But I think that's where everyone naturally gravitates to. But there's actually a bit more to it than that, right? There's also 
you know, a, a description and a, and, a, and a guarantee or confidence level that value is in fact being transferred and delivered upon. So speak to that, that cost savings versus value dilemma and, and how FinOps addresses that. That's absolutely right. Uh, there's, there's often a misconception that it's about cost takeout and it's something that we really try to de-emphasize in the discipline. Um, what we want to talk about is eliminating waste always. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a couple of clients um, early in my years practicing this um, over in, in the UK. Uh, one was in I think, Sweden and one was in the UK. Um, <clears throat> the one in the UK was a large retailer and their margins were very, 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 very narrow. And so um, there was always uh, an emphasis at that client on, on the cost optimization and eliminating waste. Another client, the one that was in Sweden was a, an emerging technology client, and they were very much in a growth phase. And they, when when we were engaged to talk about FinOps, they said, don't, don't get near our spend. Okay. You cannot restrain our growth. And I said, <laughs> that's not really the trade-off <laughs> because FinOps is about eliminating waste. It's never about restraining growth. So that's the first context I would, I would love to share is that it's just a false trade-off. It's a false narrative that um, if we get more mm-hmm. efficient, we restrain growth. Not really a thing um, if you're doing the work well. The second thing you mentioned is this idea of value, which I think is a fantastic thing to highlight. Uh, I mentioned this idea that a lot of the time we are, um, uh, what gets pulled into this discipline is things like budgeting and forecasting. One of the really important areas there is essentially uh, do we have a good way to measure where the ROI is? And the most concrete context of that is actually in new workloads that may be getting migrated in the future that are on another platform or are on-prem. This is mainly where I'm seeing that work being done. Um, and, and, and the idea is that uh, although we discourage it, a lot of times organizations really just want to see the, to- the total cost of ownership comparison between where the workload is now and what it would be costing when it's in the cloud. And we've always discouraged that because it's really a limited view um, of looking at whether the migration is good for the enterprise as a whole. Uh, for example, supposing you're going to, you have workload A that has a certain scope in the estate and y- you ask me to do that analysis and I say, well, yeah, Dana, it's, it's going to cost you more. Is that right. good? You got to put it in context, right? What If it's going to cost more, then what you're looking at is not that different than saying, I'm thinking about building a factory. I'm thinking about buying some new machine. Yeah, I know it's going to cost more. Should I do it? The context there is what's the return on investment of that and how is it going to change the business? In cloud, that's actually a really interesting challenge because many of the benefits of cloud aren't really going to show up as just TCO savings necessarily. They may, but usually the different dynamics of how one operates in the cloud means that the actual impact on the organization is going to show up in things like speed to innovation. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, I can Mm -hmm. get products to market faster. How do you value that? How do you value that? That's really interesting, right? Because now you're talking about, for example, accelerating Mm -hmm. revenues, or you're talking about beating a competitor to a bunch of market share because they couldn't get there when you could, right? How do you model that? So we're seeing more and more emphasis on that part of, of the modeling when it relates to migrations. What I think we are going to start seeing more of, and we're not, candidly not seeing as much as maybe we ought to be seeing, is on an ongoing operating basis for FinOps practitioners to begin doing that, thinking about mm-hmm. workloads that are already uh, underway now and looking at what is the value of that uh, as a look back. And, and we're not seeing a ton of that work yet, 
Um, but I think that we will. And I think that, you know, very candidly, another evolution that may come to pass, sort of my prediction, we'll see if I'm right. Maybe we watch this in 10 years and see if I was right or wrong. Um, I believe that more and more of the FinOps activities will actually wind up being absorbed by the technical teams themselves. And the reason is that right now, there's still an external feedback loop, right, where spend gets incurred by technical teams and you have FinOps practitioners that are external to those teams. Sometimes there's some shared folks, but as an entity, the FinOps team is external. And they're the ones who are reactively taking action about whether there's an efficiency or whether the reporting isn't right or so on. And that 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 model is, is too, mm-hmm. it, I think down the road, it'll be a little bit more reactive than we want. Wouldn't it be better to have that work happening real time in the technical teams as it happens? And that's probably around the time we're going to start seeing better analytics internally about what the value of your public cloud is versus the alternative, versus a different cloud or versus the on-prem. Mm-hmm. Because right. guess what? Those folks might be measured on it. They might have to report against it as part of their role. And so I think they're going to wind well, up being more integrated so we, down the road. We can we'll, see. we'll watch this tapes, again yeah. in a few years and see if uh, I'm right. It is interesting. When you joined, You know, we, we had, we've had several conversations around, okay, at SADA, what do we want to do in the ecosystem as it relates to advancing the cause of increased financial discipline uh, within the usage of cloud. We, we, as you've seen, no doubt have uh, lots of well-versed, skilled uh, uh, consultants that are helping our customers every single day with uh, their cloud environments, our technical account managers, our customer success staff, they're there uh, helping identify workloads, optimize, modernize, et cetera. And we, we discussed, you know, what is it that we want to do here at SADA to start to bring more of all of these great best practices of FinOps into these technical teams like you just described inside of SADA? And how do we provide that across the board to our, our customer base? Like, what are you, what are some of your thinkings in terms of how you want to begin to evangelize this within the practice of SADA? Sure. No, that's right. And I remember, Dana, when we had that conversation early on, uh, when we first met, and I think that it was, I think you and I are very much aligned on this from the beginning, is that the overriding objective of a FinOps practice, whether it's SADA's or whether it's a client's, is for them to be successful on their public cloud. That's what we're trying to do in, in, in every way. And so building the organization means that we're going to look for every opportunity we can um, for any SADA customer, frankly, in any context, to make sure that we're able to provide them with whatever support is going to further that objective, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're already a client and, and they just need some fine-tuning, great, let's make sure all of our teams are able to do that work. Um, if they're already a client and they're thinking about standing up a FinOps org and they don't quite know how to approach it and they need just to have a half-hour consultation. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Or if they're a client that uh, that just doesn't know where to start and they really need to stand up FinOps from scratch, I've done this for multiple clients in my prior experience, um, You know, we can engage them at that level too. So it's really, we're looking for any context we can to help those clients. Uh, again, whether that's a brief consultation, whether that's um, making sure that we're standardizing really good practices across all of the SADA teams so that they're conversant in this, so that they know um, how to cover the basics. Mm-hmm. And they also know when to engage the actual SADA FinOps team, the dedicated team. 
Um, and then, and then of course, we're working with the FinOps Foundation, right? So why are we doing that? Well, yeah, I was going to ask you that. We, yeah. For for the, for the listeners, you know, we just recently announced our uh, uh, alliance and membership into the FinOps Foundation. So please, what is that? Uh, and 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 describe what its charter is and 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 how SADA and and I, and I believe Google now too. Uh, yep. the, the the role that we're playing there. Yeah, so so the FinOps Foundation is really a, a terrific, terrific story. Um, as you said earlier, this is an emergent field, right? It's a nascent discipline in the industry. And what happened was um, a couple of years ago, uh, the FinOps Foundation was founded, um, and actually it spawned out of some folks that came out of CloudAbility as it happens, but it was founded to allow practitioners from across the globe to come together and share best practices. So it's a nonprofit. What a great idea. What a great idea. So we got a bunch of folks that are trying different things in this new discipline. And at some point, there, there comes to be a realization that, hey, you know, if we get these folks together, we can cross-pollinate. Everybody benefits. Everybody can contribute to this, this nonprofit foundation. And that's exactly what they've built. So it has become really the global... Uh, center of of learning and training and uh, and best practice it's become the repository for best practices in, in FinOps. That's a great story. Yeah. You know, starting this this foundation, I just love it. I, I, ever since that foundation was established, I just thought it was the best idea. And so, you know, Sada's decided to commit a tremendous amount to this because what did we say earlier? What are we trying to do? Mm-hmm. Trying to get people collect is successful on the cloud, and the foundation is is the, absolutely the right way to do that. Right, so. We can go in there and contribute what our learnings are. Obviously, we can we can benefit from the learnings of, of these other great fine people that are contributing to that. And so, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're contributing today uh, in, in many different contexts. So we are uh, contributing to a lot of the training materials. For example, um, I'm going to be working on on a, on a piece right now that I originally actually gave to uh, the engineering team when I was at CloudAbility, but they, the leadership at CloudAbility asked me to teach a class that was finance for engineers. <laughs> And the reason was that That's as great. software engineers, it, it was so interesting, Dana, because they were writing code and they didn't have the context of what they were writing. Mm-hmm. So there were basic fi- fundamental concepts in finance that they're like, I don't know what amortization is, mm-hmm. but I need to have this function in software. And they said, Rich, could you just give, give an hour class uh, on the basics? And so we're going to write that as a curriculum in the foundation. So anybody can go and benefit from that knowledge. You know, maybe you were brought into a, an engineering team. They're asking you to get involved in this finance. Maybe you're one of the folks they're going to make a timeshare out of. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, I don't know what I don't know. Well, here's this great resource where they can go and say, oh, I'm going to take finance for, for, for engineers. And now I'm going to have the context of, of what I'm going to be working on in there. So that, that's a little bit about what the foundation is. And we're just really happy to be involved with it, um, you know, and, and really do share our best learnings, um, you know, with that foundation, gain from other folks' learnings. And, and, and candidly, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's it a lot is. of fun to be working you know, I, I participated yeah. in, in their last uh, monthly call, and I know you were, you were giving a presentation there. And it was great to see uh, the customer involvement and, and people presenting. And, and they have yep. even titles like FinOps uh, practitioner inside yes. of these massive yep. organizations. And they're sharing what's working and what's not working, and the the yep. amount of collective intelligence that, that's being shared in that forum is great. Uh, and it, 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 it gives folks a chance to be really creative, yeah. right? Imagine taking part of your workday and saying, well, "I did this really cool thing and it worked really well, yeah. and now I'm going to get to go tell other people yeah. about it." It's just it's cool. Everybody's enjoying. It. Everybody's having a lot of fun yeah. doing it. It's terrific. That's awesome. So, so a couple of last things. Uh, 
so I imagine and, and across our thousands of customers that we have, you know, there's there's different degrees of of where they are in their evolution and their maturity. Um, I, I don't think any of anybody feels like they've got this completely nailed and, and, and some are further along than others, but so many are just getting started where, uh, you know, they've been at, a, they've been in, you know, in a race to just get to the cloud and, 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 and continue to expand their footprint and, and innovate and, and provide new capabilities to whatever business model that they happen to be in. And I think a lot of them now are at that phase where, Hey, I got to get started. I've got to create this muscle memory on how to regularly control, govern, and feel like I'm controlling this and it's not controlling me. Um, you know, what's your advice to a customer? Obviously, you mentioned that you know you can engage you know SADA you know to to kind of help you get you going and 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 get the blueprint started and and put the roadmap together and and obviously those are great things that we'd love to do, but like preview what those kinds of things are that that you would say are some of your initial best practices or, or thoughts on how they get started. Absolutely. And I, I've seen a lot of that where it's kind of like, you know, what is the first yeah. thing you do? Um, so so here, here's what it would look like. The first thing is try to identify who might be on the team, right? So who, who are we going to poach some hours yeah. from? Um, and uh, it's usually folks that have, again, some kind of tangential involvement to this activity already. So you're going to have folks that are, like I said, doing financial reporting or or what we call FP&A, financial planning and analytics. A lot of times folks like that already are touching mm-hmm. this data. And so, so you're going to try to identify who they are. So that's step one uh, is assemble the group. Um, step number two is enable them. And that means the best thing I would recommend is going to the FinOps Foundation and taking the training there. They have a great certification program. And that will give them a really good basic overview um, of, of what the discipline is and what the best practices are. So, and again, make it cross-functional, right? So finance slash accounting, technical teams, and maybe other folks that are involved with this. Um, and again, if the, if the spend is growing rapidly enough and the stakes are, are large enough, by all means, if you find that uh, perfect LinkedIn profile, it says <laughs> yeah. FinOps practitioner, by all means, feel free to hire. Um, so, so that's the first one is the talent, right? Is what talent are we assembling to do this? The second is tooling. And I don't think folks should overemphasize tooling enough. And, and the solution for that enterprise is really going to depend on kind of where they are. Um, we've seen a lot of organizations that try to build their own in-house tools. In general, I'm not really personally a huge fan of that approach, only because the off-the-shelf tools like, like CloudAbility or Ternary are so strong that why would you take these really fine minds and have them rebuild something that's already out there? Chances are we can take those really fine minds and apply them to interpreting that data in a way that's a lot more insightful as opposed to data science that's already been written. So in general, I'm, I'm a fan of, of the commercial, uh, commercially available solutions for this if their cloud console isn't getting them the reporting that they need, right? And it really depends on each organization. Some are fine in the, in the console that they have. That's great for them. If they do find they're having people writing a tool, I would really encourage them to, to think about adopting um, you know, one of the commercial tools. Um, so that, that's really what it is. It's going to start with people. Then you're going to have the right tooling that's in place so that they have, they're getting what they need out of it. And then the third, obviously, is kind of the governance part, right? Is once you have all that assembled, then you're going to start operating and starting to decide where is there a need for governance that causes us to be less reactive and, and mm-hmm. triage less. We, we don't want to do fin ops by crisis, right? That's not, that's yeah. not what you want to be doing. 
And, and if you're doing FinOps by crisis, that's your first indication that the, the, the issue has to do with governance. And governance, and again, a variety of topics. It can be policies about what people are or are not allowed to do when, but it can also be organizational governance. Again, uh, labeling or tagging. Uh, can we trace every dollar to responsible parties? That's a big one I'm a fan of is that every dollar be traceable to mm-hmm. somebody who's accountable for that dollar, mm-hmm. that kind of governance. So that's really how it gets started. Who are the folks? How do we get them trained? Do we have the right tooling? And then take your temperature and say, are we episodic about this? Are we are we having FinOps activities mm-hmm. because of crises? And if so, what governance is going to sort that? And again, a crisis could be a ballooning bill. It could be a big anomaly in your spend day to day. But another example of crisis is, holy cow, we're spending X per year. And at the end of the year, I literally can't charge back 20% of it. Mm-hmm. How'd that happen? That is. That's a crisis. We got to be able to try, we got to be able to charge it back. And I've seen that happen. So that's kind of the third part is governance and, and getting a sense for, are we well under control? Do we feel yeah. like we're calm? <laughs> we're not having a, a bunch of emergency meetings. And, and that would be that, you know, hopefully you get, you get down that road and that's how it starts to look. I know you're working a lot with Google now. They're taking a very big interest in this. And, uh, you know, I, I always, you know, I wonder, you know, how much of, of, of being successful out at this is somewhat dependent on the various clouds. I think for the most part, this, this discipline and these, these policies and, 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 and practices that you're putting in, into place are somewhat cloud agnostic, but there are, there are probably nuances within the various clouds that, that, that require different control mechanisms and different governing mechanisms. Uh, Explain kind of what some of the things that we're we're working on with with Google at the moment. We're really excited about this. So we're going to be partnering with Google to get some of their customers and some of our customers into um, a one-day workshop to talk through sort of what their FinOps experience is like today and talk through uh, what issues they're facing, what issues they're struggling with, and see how we can partner with Google's FinOps practitioners um, to to figure out exactly what the right approach uh, Mm. is for those clients. And... um, so we're really excited about that as a general thing. You, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I think that as I've uh, traversed the various public clouds over the years, um, something on the order of 80 or 90% of the disciplines float right across them, uh, as far as, especially around optimization or reporting or things like that. And then there's that last 10 or 20% that can be very cloud specific. So there are certain dynamics about certain services um, that go with each mm-hmm. particular cloud provider. Um, and and it's, I'm thinking specifically around a couple of things. One of them is in each provider, there are certain services that I've seen be prone to inadvertent balloons of spending. <laughs> and that's why I'm a big fan of anomaly alerting in your practice so that, you know, you don't wait the whole weekend yeah. and go, what just happened? You know, <laughs> somebody took over a bunch of stuff and did some Bitcoin mining or what have you. And I've seen that across each of the clouds, right? So, so, so that's one thing is um, being on, on alert for which of that cloud services is prone to bloom in inadvertent blooms of spending the other is um is where are the opportunities to optimize and for example the way that that google uh charges for compute is really novel the fact that you can kind of make really interesting um you can kind of bake your own version of a compute instance provides that's one example of a unique optimization opportunity that some of the other clouds don't offer so so that that's how i would describe it but uh so there are some things that are certainly specific to Google, um, but yeah, we're going to be partnering with them and, and meeting a bunch of, of customers and having these day long, you know, experience workshops and thinking through uh, and talking more. It's a little bit like the foundation yeah. in a way. We're going to be hearing and listening and 
and hearing kind of what their challenges are specifically. And I think that's going to inform both Google and us. And then we're going to see how, if there are clients that have ongoing challenges, how can we partner uh, to see if we can Amazing. address those with Google? Great stuff. Rich Hoyer. You know, we I, I had lunch with the the leaders of the FinApps uh, Foundation several weeks back, and I was so excited about you on the team. Uh, it was it was so uh, much fun uh, hearing them talk about you personally. And they said, "There's like three or four people in the world that are the grandfathers of FinOps, and Dana, you got one of them." And uh, I I uh, am so thankful. I feel so privileged to be able to call you a friend, a colleague, a member of the team. Uh, there's going to be a lot of great things that come out of this practice that you're building. Uh, I know you've got some people now, you're, you're adding to your team, you're creating new kinds of services that are going to be offered, uh, that are going to be embedded into the base level support and, and, and services that we provide to our customers, but and all these other great uh, yep. uh, services that are going to help customers get get kickstarted in, in the right direction and, and and get better control of this. And man, Rich, yeah. there is no one better in the world uh, than than you to to have uh, have you lead this. So I thank you for for being a part of the team, and I look forward to all the great things that we're going to accomplish together. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's all terrific. Right. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.